church? Wow, I can't hear anything. Are y'all, are y'all happy that it's the new year? <laughs> All right, get up and give me 25 burpees. Get y'all up here now. Let's go. Okay, thank you. Happy New Year. That's better. So if you have your Bible, please open it to Luke chapter 7. Uh, Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 36 through 50. 36 through 50 today. A follow the week entitled The Rollover was uh, emailed out to the church on Tuesday. It, it picked up on something that I, I said during my uh, Christmas sermon. I said two realities will roll over into our 2017 from 2016. First, an aching soul rolls over into our 2017. And as you know, an aching soul, according to uh, Larry, Larry Crabb, is evidence not of neurosis or spiritual immaturity, but of realism. There is no escape from an aching soul, only denial of it. The promise of one day being with Jesus in a perfect world is the Christian's only hope for comfort, complete relief. Until then, we either groan or pretend we don't. That rolls over. An aching soul will roll over into your 2017. Second, who Jesus is as Emmanuel also rolls over into your 2017. All the ways he was Emmanuel for you last year rolls over into this new year. He's going to minister to your aching soul by being what you need him to be when you need him. So he's going to be Emmanuel. That's a promise, not a New Year's resolution, okay? Jesus makes promises. He doesn't make resolutions. And he lives up to his promises. So he will be Emmanuel. Now, this Emmanuel series, it was supposed to be a a four-week Advent series, but it, too, is rolling over into 2017 as well. We're going to continue to look at ways that Jesus is Emmanuel with us in all that we experience in this life. We all have experiences. We all go through things in this life, but you don't go through them alone. You may say, well, Pastor, I, I, I haven't gone through anything. Live long enough. Kids, live long enough, and you will go through some things. But please know you never go through them alone. Emmanuel is with you. He's even Emmanuel in our sin struggles. You heard me right. Jesus is with you in your struggles with sin. But do you believe it? But do you believe that? If not, no worries. God has a word for you. He has a word for you today. And we're going to begin this, uh, we're going to spend this week and next week looking at one example of Jesus being Emmanuel to two sinners, to two sinners. He meets, uh, he meets them while ministering in the town of Nan. These two people either are eyewitnesses of his ministry there, or they hear about his ministry through word of mouth. Either way, both of them want to meet with Jesus. They want to have a personal encounter with Emmanuel, and they get it. And he meets them both in the same place at the same time. So, if you have your Bible, Luke 7, beginning in verse 36. 
Here's the word of our God. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and, and took a place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. And standing behind Jesus' feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would, know, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered him, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You judge rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she had wet, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time that I came in. She has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my hair with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven of little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Please pray with and for me. Lord, this, these, this, these words in, in this book are not the words of any minister, of any pastor, or of any church, or any denomination. This is your word. This is your truth. And whenever we come in contact with that truth, and whenever it contradicts our life, then we align ourselves with your truth. Not with our preferences, not with our desires, and not with what we think we should do. But your word is the standard by which we live. But we cannot order our lives under that standard apart from the power of your Holy Spirit. And we need him. We need him to receive the word today. We need him to apply the word when we leave here next week. We, do, we cannot operate, Lord, as practical atheists, as if we don't need you, as if you're not real in our everyday life. We can't separate our faith from all the other areas of our life. Our faith must dictate what we do, not be an add-on to what we do. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that the word that is preached today, that you apply it to my heart, and also that you apply it to the hearts of everyone that is here. And I pray that Christ is glorified in all that we do. Amen. Two residents in the town of Nan, desire to meet with Jesus. They're two different people, two different individuals. They come from different walks of life with different sin struggles. But yet both of them equally need Jesus the same. Both of them equally need him the same. One of them don't need him less than the other. Please know that. One of them don't need Jesus less than the other. One of them don't need Jesus more than the other. They both need him the same. And he's Emmanuel to them both. 
First, he's Emmanuel to a woman who desires to meet him. She's a local town resident with a not so good reputation. The text says she's a sinner, a sinful woman. Now, the text doesn't specify her sin, nor does it name her sin. But we do know that other people know about it. They know about her reputation. Now, you can speculate about her sin if you want to. But, you know, we're not going to do that right. That's, that's unchristian to speculate and gossip about other people's sin. You know, I know y'all don't do things like that, right? Right. There's something else you need to know about her, about this woman. She's a sister. She's a believer. She has faith in Jesus Christ, saving faith in him. And she's also a believer who knows her sin. A believer who still struggles with sin. So why do you think she wants to meet Jesus? Why do you think she wants to meet with him? Give that some thought. Why does this woman want to meet Jesus? For material blessings? Is that why she wants to meet with him? For, for some healing? To, to see him perform some miracle? To gaze into his dreamy eyes? No. She wants to meet with him because she needs him. Because of her sin struggles. Listen, she's carrying the burden of her sin. She has faith, but it's a young faith. The guilt of her sin, the shame of her sin, the condemnation of her sin, the past, the person who she used to be, she still feels the weight of that. And she's tired. Are you tired? She's broken. She's beat up. She's abused. Can anyone relate to our sister here when it comes to what you struggle with, what you deal with day to day, what you struggle with, what you seem like you can't get free from, what you feel like controls you, you don't control it. We all have it. And what do you do with it as a believer? What do you do with it? People who are lost in their sins and enjoy living in their sins, don't want to meet with Jesus the way she meets with Jesus. Okay? Someone who is lost in their sins, someone who enjoys living in their sins, is not going to do what she does in this text. She pursues Jesus. Please know that. She seeks Jesus out. The text says somehow she learns that Jesus is having dinner in the home of another town resident. I have no idea how she learns this, but she learns about it. She hears the news. And so she's going to go uninvited, unannounced, to a home that belongs to someone else, determined to meet Jesus. This is one of those, oh, no, she didn't moments. And, yes, she's doing it. She's going to crash this dinner. Because she has to meet Jesus. And other people's opinion of her isn't going to stop her from doing it. That's the thing. Other people's opinion of her isn't going to stop her from going to meet Jesus. I'm sure some of you are familiar with the phrases, put on your face or get dressed up. You know, put on your face refers to to makeup. You know, the makeup you put on your face um, get dressed up means you put on your best clothes or your Sunday's best. And you put on your face and you get dressed up when you're going to work, when you're going to somewhere nice, like a dinner party, anniversary dinner, 
or if you're going to meet someone important, or if you're trying to impress someone. The point is, you want to look externally presentable. That's the point. Or at least, you want to be perceived that way. You want to look good before other people. But now, here's the thing. Putting on your face and getting dressed up can also be a mask you wear to hide the true you. It's, it's the Facebook you. It's the keeping up appearances you. It's the flossing you. It's the everything in my life is awesome you. It's the you you present to people every Sunday. But is it the real you? Is it the real you? Jesus doesn't want the Facebook you. He wants the real you. He wants the you without makeup. The you that doesn't dress up. The you that's not well packaged. The you who wear jogging pants and a t-shirt every day. The you in PJs with a hair wrap around your head. The bad hair day you. The ashy knees and ankles you. The wrinkled clothes day you. The first thing in the morning you. Bad breath, crust in the eyes of you. That's who he wants. He wants that you. And you don't have to put yourself together to meet Jesus. You come to him because you're not together. You do not have to put yourself together to meet Jesus. You come because you're not together. Because if you were together, you'd never come because you wouldn't need him. You come because you're not. Our sister here isn't together either. Remember, she has faith, a growing faith, but she still struggles. She still struggles with sin. So she doesn't put on her face. She doesn't get dressed up. She's, she, she, she's bringing the real her to, to meet Jesus. And she's going to bring her whole person to Jesus, unfiltered, unpolished, unaltered, the non-photoshopped version of her who she's bringing to Jesus. Guess who she's bringing? She comes as she is. She brings her tears. She brings her sin struggles. She even brings this alabaster jar of ointment to Jesus. And she's not going to impress him. She's not going to earn favor. She's going because she needs him to commune with him, to worship him, to show gratitude to him, to receive reassurance to him. And she's not going to let what other people say about her stop her from going to meet with Jesus. So she begins this journey to this home, filled with all these emotions and, and tears in her eyes. She, she tries to get there as quickly as she can. And, and then when she arrives, she enters the home with tears still in her eyes, flowing down her face. No words come from her mouth when she enters the home. She doesn't attempt to create a scene. She doesn't disturb the dinner. She goes in looking for Jesus. Doesn't care who else is there. She goes in looking for one person, and that is Jesus. And she finds him reclining at the table. And she does four things when she sees Jesus. First, she stands behind him, behind him at his feet with her head down. Second, she wets his feet with her tears. Third, she kneels down at his feet, unties her hair, and begins wiping his feet with her hair. Fourth, she kisses his feet. Then she breaks the alabaster jar open and anoints his feet with oil. What is that? What is that a picture of? It's a picture of worship. 
It's a picture of communion. Reverence, honor, thankfulness, gratefulness, humility before Christ. This is not a person who is still lost in her sins. Please know that. She comes weeping. She stands at his feet. She wets his feet. She kneels at his feet. She dries his feet. She kisses his feet. She anoints his feet all in faith. All in faith. And this is love. Love towards Christ. Charles Spurgeon, in his devotional mornings and evenings, says, If you do not desire to know Jesus better, then you love Jesus not. For love always cries nearer, nearer. If you do not desire to know Jesus better, then you love him not. Love always cries closer, closer, closer. Do you desire to be close? Do you desire to be at his feet as she is at his feet? Or do you think you're worthy to sit at the table with Jesus? Most of us think we do. I want to be at the table with Jesus. No, you're supposed to be at his feet. That's our position before our God and King. Notice that Jesus doesn't stop her. He lets her touch him. He lets her weep on him. He lets her anoint his feet. Why? Because he's not ashamed to be touched by sinners. He's not too good to let sinful people weep on him, to touch him, to associate with him. Oh, that's us. That's what we do, but not Jesus. He associates with the lowly. He associates with all kinds of sinners. He doesn't tell this woman, can't you see I'm in the middle of dinner? Don't you see I'm in the middle of a conversation? I will talk with you later. Stop touching my feet. Stop crying on me. He doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't shame her or guilt her or push her away or overlook her or look past her. He accepts her. That's what he does. He's Emmanuel to her by being what she needs at this moment. What do you think she needs at this moment? She needs reassurance. And he gives it to her. He gives it to her. He reassures her of her forgiveness, of faith, of peace, of repentance. He reassures her that her past sins don't have to define her. That her present struggles don't have to condemn her, that her future sins are not held against her. He says to her in verse 48 and 50, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. I love that. You, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now go live in peace. What does he mean? You are not at peace with God and you are not at peace with yourself. Peace with your past. The same is true for each of you who have saving faith in Jesus. Your past sins don't have to define you. Your current sins don't have to condemn you. 
and your future sins will not be held against you. Why? Because of Christ. Because of what he did for you. He is Emmanuel in your sin struggles. He's going to reassure you of the same thing, of forgiveness and, and peace. He reminds you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus through faith. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Is your version of Christianity is once I become a, a Christian, then I shouldn't struggle with sins anymore. I got to tell you, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. You're going to struggle with them, but you don't have to live in them. That's the difference. You struggle with a repentant heart. That's what we do as believers. Do you believe it? But there is conviction, but no condemnation. And conviction is what I like to call it. It creates a godly sorrow over your sins that leads you to Jesus. That leads you to Jesus. Remember what I said. She already has faith. But she didn't have faith and say, you know what? I no longer need Jesus. I got, I'm good, Jesus. I got this now, Jesus. I, I receive you. I've heard your word. Now, now it's up to me. No. She still needs him. You can be a Christian for 60 years and you still need more Jesus the day you need him. The first day you repented of your sins. You're going to need him Forever. Forever. You're going to always need him. And the more you grow in your faith, you're going to see how much you need him. And that's a good thing. Because love desires to be closer and closer to Jesus, not farther and farther away from him. Always remember that Christ came to earth to save us from our sins. That's why he came. He came to earth to do that. His death upon the cross is payment for those sins. And if you want peace, and if you want forgiveness, and if you want acceptance, then you have to come to saving faith in Jesus. You have to come to saving faith in Jesus. No one and nothing else in all creation is going to love you the way Christ loves you. Never. Now, we always hear some stories of, 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 of right now there's these things on social media about people walking away from the church and, and saying, I'm, I'm done with Christianity. But here's the thing. God chooses those who are in Christianity. You don't choose him. And when he chooses you, you're his. So if you walk away, that means you never had faith in the beginning. You cannot walk away from something that you didn't earn. It's given to you. And so if you have faith today, that means God has given that to you as a gift. And when you have it, and when you truly have it, you you ain't letting that go. Now, you may struggle and fall short. You may wander away into the far country, but eventually you're going to find your way home. Because you're going to come back to that grace. And you've got to trust him if you don't know him. That means you've got to surrender your life to him. You've got to confess your sins to him and receive him as your Lord and Savior. For there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. I don't care what the world says. They're wrong. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved, and that is through Christ. But do you believe that? But do you believe that? You don't have to put on your face 
and get dressed up to meet Jesus. You come as you are. And when you come, guess what he does? He put his face on you and dresses you up in his Sunday's best. He presents you before God spotless, blameless, clothed in his righteousness. We already read about that in the confession of faith. How are you righteous before God? It's through Christ Jesus and not yourself. Because I can tell you, if you're standing on your righteousness, oh, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. And I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, real faith here not only does something for us, it also does something to us. What is it doing to our sister? It's pushing her more to Jesus. Pushes her more towards Jesus. If you have faith, it's going to push you more to Jesus. More towards him. He's a wonderful savior. He's an awesome God. He is Emmanuel. And he's with you in all your sin struggles. We're the only ones that think we're better than we are. Jesus, Jesus doesn't see the Facebook you. He sees the real you, even if you're honest about it. He came because of the real you. Not the Facebook you. Not the fake you. The you you hide from others. That's who Christ died for. And guess what? He sees the depths of your heart and loves you the same. But do you believe that? There's a verse in the hymn, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, that says, You love every lost cause. You reach for the outcast, for the leper, for the lame. They're the reason you came. Lord, I was the lost cause. I was the outcast. You died for sinners just like me, a grateful leper at your feet. That's your position, saints, forever and always. Let us pray. Father, we are the leper at your feet. Some of us see it, some of us are blind to it, and some of us try to run from it. But at your feet, Lord, is where we need to be, worshiping you, in communion with you, showing our dependency upon you, Knowing, Lord, that, that you would never cast us out. Knowing that you will always be Emmanuel with us. And so my prayer for the, the saints here and for myself as we go out and all the different responsibilities that we have as students, as parents, as spouses, as employees and employers, Lord, that you will be with us, reminding us that you are with us. I pray that you free us from condemnation. I pray you help us know that conviction always leads to repentance and help us to know that we are covered in the righteous blood of Christ and that when you see us, that's what you see. Those who are clothed by your son. Help us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Help us to know we don't have to die for our own sins. Christ already paid the debt and it's been paid in full. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Please stand as we close our service.